Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good evening and hope you're enjoying the 2020 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Dan Ford and I'm a first year MBA student. It is my pleasure to introduce our next panel, Making the Right Play, Optimizing the NBA's Season Structure. Our panelists today, starting closest to me, are Evan Wash, Senior Vice President of Basketball Strategy and Analytics for the NBA, Steve Coonan, CEO of the Atlanta Hawks, Gerson Rosas, President of Basketball Operations for the Minnesota Timberwolves, Shane Battier, Vice President of Basketball Development and Analytics for the Miami Heat, and a former player, NCAA champion, and two-time NBA champion. And moderating our panel today is Kevin Arnovitz, NBA writer for ESPN and frequent guest on ESPN's The Jump. The panel will last uh, of 45 minutes and be followed by 10 minutes of Q&A. Audience, please tweet your questions using the hashtag NBA schedule. With that, I'll kick it off to Kevin. Thanks. Um, so the premise of this panel is that the current 82-game regular season is, is just ill-suited to the modern age. Um, I gave a talk about this last year, um, you know, just the way that the league is structured uh, and, you know, the way teams qualify for the playoffs, the idea that there's just, there are 82 games, and at the end of it, uh, you know, there, there are no spikes in this. Whoever wins the most games, the 16 teams, they advance. Um, this is boring. And I think we're starting to see that in viewership numbers. I, I think we're starting to see that in the demographics of, of who watches games. Um, so here's what I'd like to do for the next 45 minutes. Let's think of this as a constitutional convention. We're going to scrap the current structure of the NBA season. And we're going to start from scratch, and we're going to rebuild it. And what, what's great here is we have all, most of the major constituencies represented. I mean, Evan's our league mouthpiece here. Um, Steve is the CEO of an NBA team and also ran Turner Networks for 14 years. Um, so broadcast partner is a major part of this. Uh, there's one of our largest streams of revenue, and we can't do anything without the blessing and support of broadcast networks. Um, Gerson, basketball operations. I mean, he is the guy who, you know, one, one of the 30 who oversees the actual playing of the game, so maybe they should have a say, right? Um, Shane also works for an NBA team, but also he played in the league for many, many years, and you're not going to do anything without the players' support. So, and a little later, we're going to bring on a fan representative because, I mean, we, we can sit here and pontificate about what the season should be, but at the end of the day, it's the consumer, right? I mean, that's the person who's going to determine uh, whether the NBA you know, survives or prospers, and they should probably have a say in the product they're consuming since they will be paying for it. Um, so. Here's what I'd like to do. Uh, at first, um, I want this exercise to consider some practical concerns. We want to be at least revenue neutral, because I think it's fair to say that we can sit here and play fantasy basketball, but if the answer is yes, and all of your teams are going to lose tens of millions of dollars a year, uh, the reform's probably not going to go through as deficient as we think that this current 82-game season is. Um, and let's start with Evan, because you're the guy I often call when people say, oh, who's Evan? I say, he is the minister of thinking about new stuff. 
Like, if the NBA has a thought that maybe we should change things, whether it's the, the overtime or the, rather the fourth quarter at the All-Star game, Evan's usually the guy who is, is thinking most broadly about this stuff. So, Evan, you and I had a conversation in, in, in the office recently, and the one thing I think we agreed on is whether you're someone who thinks that we should reduce the number of games or add a play-in tournament or add a, 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 a mid-season tournament, what we're trying to get at is we want their 1,230 games right now and not enough of them have meaning. And so I just wanted to kind of, before we start sort of lobbying the ideas, what do we mean by meaning? I mean, what is that premise? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, maybe if you'll permit me, I'll edit a, a few things you said there. So okay. uh, I don't think as a league mouthpiece, we don't view the 82-game the schedule as ill-suited, and I certainly don't think... That's me. What? That's purely me. Right, and I, don't, and I think a lot of our fans would say it's not boring either, right? There's, there's a lot going on every night that is exciting in our league. Um, so I'll, I'll start with that. Um, but that doesn't mean that there can't be improvement. And so I think uh, none of the ideas that we're talking about now are, are new ideas, right? So if you go back and look at what Bill Simmons was writing for page two 15 years ago, you'll see his entertaining as hell tournament where you have different qualification for the playoffs. People have been talking about shorter seasons for as long as I can remember as a basketball fan. And so the, the question is not, are we just reacting to what's happening with ratings or what's happening with um, injury, player, player load, things like that. It's a question of, can you make a better product? And I think the general consensus is that our playoffs are a really entertaining, competitive product, and teams are going all out in those games, and fans are engaging with it in a way that's commensurate with that. That maybe isn't the case for each one of our 1,230 regular season games. And so for us, the conversation is not just about, do you cut games for the sake of cutting games? It's is there a way to use the rest of our calendar that's not the playoff time to create a more exciting product, more exciting game of basketball? And that could include fewer games, it could include new tournaments, or it could include entirely rethinking the way that we structure the season, right? To determine who makes the playoffs or what the rewards are, what the incentives for competition are. But that any product should always be thinking about how can you innovate the product to better engage your fans, improve player health, um, make our content more valuable for our network partners. And so that's, that's been the genesis of the work that's really, really gained steam over the past year. All right. So, Steve, you're, you're the CEO. You're accountable for revenue. Before I, we lob a bunch of cockamamie ideas, what do we need to consider in terms of the bottom line? Like, like what, if I'm going to propose something, what, what do I need to know from a revenue standpoint? Well, what you don't want to do is do things for the sake of doing them. You want to enhance your revenue lines, which come through media, they come through box office, they come through sponsorships. And a big piece of what we'll get to when we jump into ideas is you don't have to reinvent the wheel to enhance ratings. Sometimes moving away from competition is a great way to grow ratings. You know, if King Kong is at your door, you might go out the back door rather than open the door and get in a hand-to-hand -hand fight with King Kong. And many times, the start of the NBA season, we're competing with arguably the best Thursday night football game with the NBA on TNT, our marquee broadcast. And we get crushed and we wonder why. And it's because at the beginning of the season, there's very low relevance for the NBA. The relevance is now. That's when people are talking about it. So relevance equals revenue. And so we've got to create the most relevance and the revenue will fix itself. Okay, so let's put a thumbtack in that. I mean, I, I think 
one of our first proposals. I want to get to sort of the considerations first, but let's start the season. December, November, Christmas Day? You know, maybe after Thanksgiving and college football. All right, so, so like, you know, early, mid-December. Um, from a basketball operations standpoint, if we're talking about the reduction in number of games, if we're talking about a mid-season tournament, if we're talking about play-in tournaments, if we're talking about like sort of maybe even, and I want to spitball some ideas of just like the structure of one through 82 or one through 70, whatever it is, is being maybe we cut the season into halves or quarters or, or some other structure of the season. What do we need to know from a front office standpoint? What do I need to consider if, if, as I toy around with totally restructuring this season? Evan, is there immunity here? Or yes. Yes, I've asked for space? it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Steve talks about relevance. I think from an operations perspective, it's purpose. And one of the big things as we look at an upcoming season, everybody plays the same number of games, but how does that schedule look? And what stage are you in as a team? You know, if, for us, we're a younger team. We're building who we are. Uh, you know, for other teams, the Lakers, uh, Milwaukee's of the world, they're contending teams. And we look at the current schedule and we give the NBA credit because they're often looking at different ways of how we can make it better. Uh, but we're stretched, you know, long road trips, uh, not as many back to backs, but we are in situations now where we're losing practice days. And for a young team, a practice day is critical. It's development for a veteran team that's contending. It's rest and recovery. So for us, as we look at every facet of what that schedule looks like, no back to backs is a big positive, but we're stretched out where every other day you're doing something. And depending on what stage your team is at, uh, you're, you're losing something valuable. And it's tough on the players, it's tough on planning, it's tough on execution, but it's something that I think we're all trying to work through. Right, so let me ask you a question. You're a team that you know, struggled in the first half of the season. What if I said, after 40 or 41 games, we reset? Everyone goes back to zero and zero. We take, say, the first, the, the top four teams in each conference, they qualify for half one of the season. Anyone remembers the 81 baseball season where there was the strike? You know, this is essentially what happened, and it turned out great. And we started zero and zero game 42 Minnesota Timberwolves. Does that, does that give a pep in the step of, of your, your locker room, of your practices? Uh, absolutely. I mean, you want every game to count. You want every game to have meaning. And for our guys, I mean, we, we did that in a personnel development process where we turned nine of, the 13, uh, nine of the 15 roster spots at the trade deadline, and it was a restart. And we know it's uh, not only is it about today, but it's about tomorrow. How do we build our identity? How do we build our character on offense, on defense, on the court, off the court? So I think our players and our teams, they care about every game. It's always nice to have multiple things to play for or to win for, uh, but it's how the structure is in place to either grow and develop, or if you're contending to get to the end of the season, playing your best basketball and being as healthy as possible. So, Shane, I'll, I'll ask you, as we consider how to muck up the season and try these new novelty items or, or, or however we want to characterize them, what do I need to know from players? I once had an interesting conversation with a, a member of the, the PA's uh, board, and, and I was sort of uh, representing this, this point of view. I, wouldn't 64 games be better and, and you guys would have more? And, and on board, on board, we talked for 10 minutes. He's like, by the way, if you cut my paycheck one cent, <laughs> forget about it. I, I'll I'll, he's like, I'll play 100 games if, if you'll pay me more. You know? So from a player standpoint, as we, as the reformers really think about how are we going to restructure this season or should we restructure the season, what do I need to know? I mean, what, what essentially is the players' concern about all this? Uh, number one is money. Okay. 
Absolutely. So we're, we're in a safe space. This is revenue neutral move, right? We hope. Um, it, you know, what, what the general population does not see is an NBA player trying to get out of bed after game 63, after a road trip to lovely Salt Lake City, flying cross country and getting, getting in bed as the sun comes up. An NBA season is it's grueling. It is tough. And after you've been in it a few times, you understand the grind and you prepare your body and your mind for it, but it doesn't make it any easier. Um, and so, uh, you know, we got a glimpse of, of a shortened season, albeit a condensed season, uh, back in 11-12, in I'm sorry, 12-13 with, uh, with the lockout. We played 66 11-12. 11-12, sorry. It all, I'm old. It all blends together. <laughs> uh, we played 66 games, albeit uh, in, a, in a few months, and we even had a back-to-back-to-back game. Uh, but it was, it was fun because every game meant a little bit more. In every, in every NBA season, there are probably a handful of games, you know, for the, for the teams at the bottom of the standings, maybe like 10 or 12, for the teams at the top of the standings, five or six, where after a loss, and it's a bad loss, maybe to a team you shouldn't have lost to, the coach won't go crazy. He won't throw chairs. He'll come in the locker room and say, guys, we didn't have it. Bring it in. One, two, three, team. And you leave. Uh, so the more we can eliminate those games as a player and make every game <laughs> a little more, the better. All right. So a good place to start. All right, here, here, well, let's design our season. Obviously, when does it start? And I, I want to go back to, to Steve's idea. And, I mean, it's a radical move, right? I mean, the entire, the entire NBA is just as long as we've known it starts sometime in October. Actually, I remember as a kid, it was like early November maybe. Um, and it's finals are in June. That's what we do. And what you're basically suggesting is we kind of move, everybody move eight, nine weeks this way. Uh, a skeptic might say, ooh, over the summer, uh, there, there's some, often a general belief that people don't watch television, people are on vacation, kids are, you know, it's a, it's a less structured part of the family life. Um, so, but you also said something interesting earlier, which is, in some ways, the way we do it now is based on arcane, rather archaic sort of realities of the marketplace that just don't exist anymore. I mean, you were saying that car sales, I mean... Television launches in the fall because that's when the new models of cars used to be introduced. Mm -hmm. The reason the finals are in June is because there's more ad dollars in the second quarter. Why? It doesn't exist anymore. It's the hut levels, houses using television, the variance between second and third quarter is 3%. This coming summer, hopefully, there's going to be an Olympics. They've attracted over $1.25 billion in ad revenue. Why? Because people are coming to live sports. We have built the architecture of our season based on the ad market, not based on the consumer. And what I'm saying is, look at the spring, look at the summer, look at baseball versus competing with the NFL. Create more days, create time for practice, create longer training camps. Use time as your friend rather than this artificial compression of second quarter ad dollars being the arbiter for setting up the season. How bad is the comp, like, and you're in a southeastern market, like where I grew up, and I, I just, SEC, but is it, I mean, in terms of revenue, lost revenue or not actualized revenue, I imagine it's bad in October and November? Miami, Orlando, Atlanta, Charlotte, Memphis, Washington, all tremendously impacted, not Dallas and Houston also, by football. 
college football, high school football, professional football. Let football have its time, let's have our time, and let's go after, because our if we were at a baseball conference, the audience wouldn't look like this. We're young, we're diverse, we're different. Let's be different. Let's go where the consumer wants to watch us. All right, Evan, you're the league. The Coonan proposal. I mean, are, are we, is that something that can at least be discussed in a substantive way? Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we certainly have no, no issue uh, with moving the, or reconsidering the calendar. I think, to Steve's point, it's, um, you have to think about the other stakeholders. So our network partners need to get comfortable with the idea of a playoffs and finals in August as opposed to June, um, where traditionally the household viewership, TV viewership is a lot lower. But the flip side of that argument is that there hasn't been a whole lot of premium content on in that window. So that explains why the viewership is lower. So I think we're, we're open to that. Um, the dominoes that fall from something like that are significant, right? Reimagining re the arena business for all of our teams and when they host events, when they host concerts throughout the year. But, but there's no magic to, as Steve said, there's no magic to our October to June. Uh, By the way, pardon me for interrupting, yeah. Gavin. Actually, this benefits the arenas. Yeah because we usually compete against outdoor amphitheaters in the summer and have very slow summers. We now would have basketball in the fall and winter yep. when tours aren't going outside. It would be accretive to our business. Agree, uh, meaning more that just there's the hurdles of change for the entire business Just wanted to put of... another plug in. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Like, I need a gavel. <laughs> Motion passes. All right, we are now starting the NBA season. Uh, in early mid-December, I love this. I don't have kids. Now I get to go to Europe during the shoulder season <laughs> where I'm not competing against like Europeans in, in, in August. So that, this is wonderful. Um, okay, so I want to go to, you know, and actually th th this is kind of an interesting one, both, both you know, player and team. Um, you know, Evan, you and I had interesting conversations. My favorite part of our conversation was just imagining not so much is there going to be 66 or 64 or 78 or... But the idea that we count games one through X and the standings never change, we just kind of tally up the wins, eight teams in each conference, the idea that, and I hadn't even thought about it until you know, our conversation was, we don't have to do it that way. Um, what if quadrants, halves, um, legs? Uh, it, what, are some, what is one of your favorite just sort of fan, and, and again, I, I wanna recognize we're just having kind of a workshop here that this is not, I mean, this is not, it's not like, these are all contingencies. And I, and I just want to kind of stress that. We're just having, we're just kind of spitballing. <laughs> so, so do I have immunity too? <laughs> um, so I, I, I think, yeah. Uh, I, I think when we think about the season structure, it, it's probably not realistic to say that every game between every pair of teams on every night is going to be life or death for playoff or championship odds, right? But there are ways that you can maybe create uh, tiers in the standings, which, you know, if you look at, at other leagues around the world, it's not just finishing first. It's not just, in, for example, in our league, finishing in the top eight in your conference, that when you create tiers in the standings, there's always an incentive to be one spot higher than you currently are. And so our play-in tournament proposal that, that's, you know, been publicized, whereby the seven, eight, nine, ten seeds in each conference would play for the last two spots, does a really fantastic job of creating those tiers. So now it's not just that race for eight at the end of the season, there's a race to be top six, there's a race to be seven, eight, nine, ten, and you bring a lot more teams and fan bases into the fold with that. So I actually think 
that very, Steve and I were talking backstage, it, it's a, a fairly easy change to make uh, and one that we think would have tremendous impact, especially in the second half of the season. But then you go and say, okay, how do you create the meaning that you might want early in the season? And part of it can come from tradition. So I look at Christmas Day, for example, which traditionally has our highest fan engagement viewership throughout the season. It's not because fans think that those games have any more impact on the playoff qualification than any other games. It's because we built a tradition around Christmas Day that the NBA owns that day, we put premium matchups on, and people want to watch it. So if you can create spikes like that throughout the season and build that tradi tradition over time, we think that that, that could be pretty powerful. So you know, what, what Kevin's talking about is imagine a world where instead of just the top teams over 82 or 78 or whatever the number is earn playoff spots, what if you divided the season into four chunks and that in each one of those four chunks or segments or legs, whatever you name it, there's either playoff spots up for grabs or there's points up for grabs that ultimately lead to that outcome. So now you have sort of these four or eight or as many as you want mini seasons where there's spikes in interest, interest throughout the year and maybe teams and fan bases that think themselves out of the, the playoff race in our current system actually would say, you know what, as long as I play really well for the last bit of the season, there's something on the line for me. So we've, we've kicked around those sorts of more extreme ideas um, in thinking about how, how you could restructure this. Yeah, Shane, I'm always curious about the incentives for players. And, and I, I think, and I've had enough conversations in 12 years of kind of covering the league where I know not every night is, is meaningful. I don't think it's to say that guys dog it, but I just think it's, it's natural human instinct that one of 80, you know, again, if we, meaning, effort, are going to be correlated. If we entered a world where after 20 games, like, basically, that's a playoff spot, 40, do you feel like, uh, you probably run some kind of 500-ish teams in, your, in the course of your career. Yeah. Is that something, I mean, with that impact, would players respond to a world where, Game 58, 59, and 60 are now possibly yeah. playoff. I, I think so. Uh, coaches have to get really creative. There, there are so many uh, artificial uh, motivators that are, are created during the year by the, by the coaches. Because it's hard to look at an 82-game season and say, okay, guys, let's, let's go, 82. And so coaches are always creating new mohills and, and, and challenges within, within the season. So if you create something that's structurally um, – Measurable and has consequence. Yeah, you know that, that that's great for the players, great for the coaches, and um, it'd be positive. And I mean, I, I imagine. Yeah, no, and, and I'd give I'd give the players a little bit more credit. Like I think we're at a stage where they understand if the organization wins, they're going to benefit from it, and I think that leads to continuity and uh, stability. And any time where we create more opportunities for organizations to win and for fans to rally around and feel good about. I think those are all win-win situations for everybody. Yeah, and Steve, I'm thinking about the Hawks last March who displayed incredible basketball for four or five weeks in a world where games 61 through 80 determine, I mean, you'd have an arena and uh, potentially local viewership numbers, I imagine, if the team is essentially right on the cusp of a playoff spot, despite having a rotten first 60 games. I mean, that's, I mean, that's tangible. Well, what I, what I like about what you're talking about has to be balanced with the draft. This could end tanking, which is a problem. You know, if, if it's a reset every time, and if you lose four quarters, if you will, you're not rewarded with the first pick in the draft. Maybe you, there's some punitive. Maybe all of a sudden there is a different incentive for, for people. 
again, you, you've got to create points of relevance. Christmas Day works because we make it work. Exactly. You know, MLK Day works because we make it work. How do we find All Star Weekend worked because they had a brand new idea that was put together so quickly, you really didn't get a lot of opinions except let's do it. That's and the it, secret, Evan. Just don't <laughs> listen to anybody, just enact. Now the way, the before. By the way, genius. We didn't have debates about it. You did it. And you delivered not a 12-minute quarter, but a 15-minute quarter of basketball. That was amazing basketball, and it showcased our best players on the biggest stage. And it was wonderful. So sometimes, you know, you, you've got to just make a decision and go for it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the things, it seems like the success of that reform is kind of emboldened. This, one thing, let's say this. I like that reform, and it also was indicative of something I've always really liked about the NBA, of the big leagues in this in North America, they're always the one that's less wed to tradition. This notion that you can't change the, the architecture of the game, or, or for that matter, the terms of a victory, is, is not sacrosanct in, in, in the NBA. And it seems like the success of that might actually encourage or empower more wholesale change. Is that yeah, fair? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, Steve is being nice about the, the timing of our announcement. Uh, it left enough time for people to criticize it um, in advance of, of the All-Star Game. And I would say maybe not unanimous, but near unanimous praise after the All-Star Game, having seen it. Now, there was probably a lot of luck involved in that, that the game was close and the perfect storm of the situation that, that we were faced with, um, plus the charity elements, which helped. And, and so we got this incredibly competitive quarter, which to me speaks to the fact that you can create incredible basketball, competitive meaning, even when there's nothing traditional on the line. Right? There's, there's, no, there's no massive trophy for the All-Star. I mean, there's an All-Star MVP, but it's not the Larry O'Brien, and our players have not always taken that game as seriously as they did a few weeks ago. And so that, to me, actually speaks to our ability to build new traditions and not trying to silence naysayers, but at least opening people's mind to say, there are different ways to do things. Um, the, the best corollary for me is the, the mid-season or in-season tournament we've right. talked about. That, there's a lot of pushback on that to say, what are we playing for? Why would players try? Why would teams invest in this? And I think our view is that it takes time to build tradition. Now, again, we got lucky that this all-star change in the first year of the change had this incredible competition. I don't think we're confident that that's exactly what we would see every year, but we want to keep exploring that. The same thing could happen with a mid-season tournament. We could see two teams who maybe aren't in the, the don't see themselves in the hunt for the Larry O'Brien saying, you know what? I'm, I don't think I can make it through four seven-game seven game playoff rounds this year, but I can win a knockout tournament. I can get hot for two weeks. It's going to mean something to my players, my fans. And so we look at um, All-Star as, as a great example of what could happen in a, in a tournament setting in a league where there's very little to win. And if we can create that, that's, that's just more value. Shane, does the tournament pass the smell test to you in terms of I mean, that, That's been the biggest criticism. Yeah. What are these guys going to play for? There's not an incentive. Yeah. They make too much money for, for a, you know, a sort of a, a small royalty to make a difference. Yeah. I imagine that for 34-year-old guys who didn't grow up with the tournament, it might seem hokey. I also imagine that if you do it for a few years and yeah. you're a kid and you come into the league and it's already a reality, yeah. I mean, is the tournament something that would inspire people? You know, I've, I've, I've come around on it. When I first heard the tournament, i got to be honest, I, I would say that, that takes away from the reason why we're here to host, host the Larry O'Brien Trophy. But um, as a fan of European soccer, and when you watch, you know, whether it's the FA Cup or Carabao Cup or, or Champions League or Europa League, players are really excited about part, being part of this. 
and it's not the main championship, but it's a championship. And um, watching the soccer model really changed my mind that, you know, yes, players have to be socialized, players have to be compensated, uh, but one thing the league does is, is marketing and, and promoting um, its players. And if this becomes a prestigious enough event where, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm a Stern Cup champion. Right. And what I, that, yeah, that, and what I like about it, you just said the great. promotion. Like, it just dawns on me. Yeah. The Wolves and the Hawks don't have a hell of a lot of national games. But by the way, Carl and D'Angelo and Trey and everybody else, you're going to be nationally televised for what essentially is a not, you know, brackets are going to be out there. People are going to watch this product. And you're, you want to be on, like, these are going to be your six. If you're not one of the marquee teams that's on every week, this is a chance for you to essentially steal the show. I mean, you get to be the one shining moment guy, you know, for, for, for a week and a half tournament. I've been in the meetings with Evan. We said, if we're going to do it, we want new uniforms. We want different look at ticketing. We want to change it. You know, my first year in the NBA in 2014-15 season, the Hawks won the Southeastern Conference. I wanted to hang a banner, pop champagne, and get a ring. And I was told, we don't celebrate those <laughs> things. And, it's, and that's part of the problem. We don't have enough winning. Yeah. I mean, we won our division. We won 60 games. That's we won achieved. 60 games. Yeah. We won multiple playoff rounds, but yet we lost. And so when you have one winner and 29 losers, it doesn't feel like there's enough positive stuff for the teams, you know, th that do that. So another opportunity, whether it's architected the way it's currently presented or some variants of it, well, and, and, more and, and, winning. And this is not everyone gets a participation ribbon. No. Okay, right. do, do not get that twist. <laughs> yeah. We're not saying everyone is, gets a ribbon, okay? This is winning, this not is participation. And, 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 and it's competition. And we can create different competition, right? Like to what exactly. Steve's talking about, you can make a tournament that doesn't feel like the NBA playoffs and doesn't feel like the NBA regular season. We don't have a lot of winner go home games, right? We have the randomness of a game seven, which is gonna happen every you know, third or fourth playoff series. So in a, in a season of 15 playoff series, you'll get a handful of game sevens. Other than that, we don't have the single elimination excitement that March Madness has, for example. Right. We can create that with a tournament. We can even play with different formats. We could use our winning score, like our, our score target from All-Star, put that into a knockout phase of a tournament. That would be That's different rules. Awesome. That would be really cool. Right, so, so, so that affords us opportunity that we're not undermining the traditional competition. We're not changing the value of the Larry O'Brien. We're not changing the value of the regular season competing for that, but you're adding things to win. You're adding excitement. You're adding an opportunity for players to showcase skills in a different format that they don't get to see every day. Now, according to us, we're doing really well up here. Yeah, seriously. One quick thing, Kev. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's... You know, one of, a couple of our most knowledgeable bases are our players and our fans. And I do think, and, and it's been said here before, but change is hard for all sports, especially for our league. And we got to be comfortable with, and I'll be fair, I'm, I'm not a big fan of either one of those platforms, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be afraid to fail, because if that doesn't work, we've got to figure it out. We have a base of players and a base of fans that are very knowledgeable. And you look at European, not only uh, football, but also basketball, and they've created areas where players live and die for their cups. And it's very important to them. And we have to figure out what those cups mean to us. How do we structure it? You know, whether it's a point system or a tournament or whatever the case may be. But there's a lot of opportunity there because our guys are at a stage where they know if you play, you win, there's benefits. And we just have to create more markers, more opportunities for that to happen. Speaking of which, we, I want to bring up 
our designated fan. Because, again, these are all ideas. We all work inside the league in some capacity. The consumer is going to decide, right? So, so where, uh, Dan, do we have, our, uh, we have our fan? Come, fan, please, hither. You're a Timberwolves fan, so this is particularly relevant. <laughs> yeah, very right. relevant. So you've heard the ideas, right? I mean, we're, we're talking, I mean, by the way, does, does a December start impact your viewing? You know, it, there's already a lull after the, the whirlwind of free agency, so another couple of months of football doesn't seem like too big of a deal for me as a fan. All right, and um, where are you on the tournament? I mean, is that something, as a fan, if you've got brackets and, and the NBA could generate the kind of just, well, frankly, madness, quite literally, around, around its 32-team bracket. Maybe we, we bring in a couple international teams, Evan? Yeah. Let's bring over the top, like, Euro League team to be 31 and the top, I don't know, Australian team to be 32. Why don't we, why don't we do that? I mean, is this engaging to... Yeah, I hear a lot of things I like with the tournament. I mean, you mentioned the bracket, the March Madness bracket. I think as a fan, it's easy to get behind building another bracket. You know, we don't get enough of that with March Madness. And I think the winner go home nature of it that got mentioned, I think back as a Timberwolves fan to a couple years ago when we had the elimination game against the Denver Nuggets. That was the best regular season game we've seen in years. It's phenomenal. And I, I mean, this is a different sport, but the Twins have had a couple of game 163 type of situations too. So the, that winner go home mentality that brings a lot out in the players, I, I see me and the people I talk to really rally around that idea. Um, adding one more thing that I've been thinking about as you guys have talked, a lot of my friends are like, oh, you know, NBA is awesome, but I love college so much more. The players are so much more into it. I'll just watch the NBA during the playoffs. So I think knowing that there's a lot of fans out there like that, um, bringing an in-season tournament would just be another way to bring out that emotional side of the, of the basketball game and bring in more NBA fans and grow the game that way. Yeah, Evan, something I've been thinking about that you said in one of our conversations is spikes. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about the, the notion of spikes. I mean, Steve talked about it a little bit. This is the idea that... You just need more moments over the course of that calendar where there's just something really important to be watching on the floor, not just one great matchup, or, or, but, but that just we need more Christmases. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, it just seems like a, a lot of these things just a, appeal to that notion. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the counter to the, the crowd that just wants to reduce the season, right, so either for player health reasons or scarcity, whatever the case is, we're, we're probably on a part of the demand curve where small changes in the number of games are not gonna have significant impacts in the relative value of each of those games, either competitively or economically, right? There might be some increase, but it's not gonna be proportional to the reduction. And we're not the NFL who plays 16 games, we have 82, right? Even in an extreme world where we went down to the, the 60s or even the 50s, that's still a lot of games. And so that's still a lot you're asking your fans to engage with. So it's not just about marginally increasing each game across the season, it has to be about these, these bigger events and tent poles that, that drive viewership because that's what drives our season. If you, you know, if you ask a basketball fan, they think about the season in these, based on these tent poles, opening, opening day, opening week, Christmas day, MLK, all-star weekend, race to the playoffs, playoffs. I'd like to have five more things on that list, right? And if I have a tournament and I've got the spikes at the end of these mini seasons or whatever that model is, now every week I'm tuning in for something new and exciting that's happening in the league as opposed to just the traditional games. Can I indulge you for a second to introduce my favorite crazy idea? Yes. The octopus. 
Please tell everybody about the octave. This is my favorite specific idea for a season structure. And I want and I, I want your opinion on this as all a right. man because and actually I want all your opinions on this. All right, this is my new crazy favorite NBA idea. Really? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so the octopus is an eight-leg season, uh, octopus, and um, in each leg you would pair up divisions against each other, so Atlantic versus Southeast, uh, you know, Southwest versus Pacific, and you'd play a home and away against each team in the division you're paired up against, so you'd be playing a 10-game leg, essentially, uh, and the number of points that you earn in that leg would be a function of the number of wins, but it would grow exponentially. So essentially your first win in the leg would be worth one point, but if you got all the way to 10 wins, that 10th win is actually worth five points. And so there's a, the way the math works out, there's a, a maximum of 25 points to be earned in any leg um, if you win all 10 games. And so the incentive there is that our best teams need to go all out every night because any game you lose in any leg costs you the opportunity to go get those five points. And for teams that are struggling early in the season, they now have the opportunity late in the season to make up more ground because they could win exponentially increasing points if they get hot for one or two legs. So uh, there are incredible complexities that come with it and probably some scheduling infeasibilities, but in the, in the idea, in the bucket of crazy things that we've put on paper, that's one of them. I think it could be like a septipus or like a cestipus. Uh, I mean, I, I'm I don't not, think I'm not all aware of legs, that. I want the, the tournament. Kingdom. What? I want the tournament, so we'd have to cut down, we'd have to cut off a leg. You could just have shorter legs. Or shorter legs. Sure. I have short legs. That's, that's <laughs> it. Is it, like, I want to ask you, like, in terms of the regular season, this notion, especially being a Wolves fan, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pile on, but it's like, you know, the team's out of the playoffs. It's kind of like, I mean, is, is, this, is this notion correct that, look, anything we can do to regenerate the season or, or kind of let a team go back to zero and zero, I, I imagine this is useful if you are a, a beleaguered fan. Yeah, it's so relevant to me as a Wolves fan. I mean, I got the notification a couple days ago that we beat the Bulls, and I was like, awesome. And I'm like, ah. Oh, Crap, like lower lottery odds, right? So right, right. you don't want to have this intercon. You always want to watch your team win. And, you know, we just changed over First our whole... First person said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Many general managers share your, your, your yeah. frustration of winning. Kirsten is trying as hard as he can every night to win games. That's right, Evan. Yeah. Tell him. You are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we as fans of the Wolves, we have to take the long view, too. Um, but <laughs> I think... I, for, I forgot what the question was, but I heard a lot. Of, I heard a lot. Octopus. I liked with the like octopus. Yeah, I, lo I love the octopus idea. I, I, I love the octopus. But you yeah. got to be careful. We saw NASCAR rewrite all their rules all the time, yeah. and it yeah. became so frenetic and so hokey that it, they've had a hard time getting the credibility back. So it's got to be simple. I mean, that, that, that's a, that's simple. why you know that's almost like a, a, a you start a with idea, it's right? It's not it's, simple. So where are we? Like quadrants or halves? Are you for that? Who me? Yeah, all sure. What I'm for is relevance. You know, I don't know if we have the precision of the idea. You talked about race for the playoffs. I've never seen another sport. We're preempted on our main broadcaster, TNT, for three weeks by our own sport, basketball, for March Madness. So we go straight from March Madness to the NBA playoffs. But they get to go first and create the relevance. And the NBA is relegated to another night that people don't even know. Right. And so, again, I, I think you have to look at all of it holistically. And Evan's challenge and all of our challenge is one piece can't be moved with impacting several other pieces. And it's complex because it's become tradition. And remember, the league's all expanded. Baseball went to 162 games from 154 for revenue. 
So I think we're all agreeing that more doesn't make more revenue, but finding the right mix and combination to a consumer who is so radically different today than we've ever seen before. Absolutely. You know, the, the Reed Hastings, chairman of Netflix, who's your competition? Sleep. That's true. You only have so much time. How do you dedicate it to this? I think, Steve, you're hitting on an interesting point, which is... Um, Finally. <laughs> this entire panel, you have hit on interesting points. Uh, the, the, inner, the interconnectedness of the ideas and that you can have a whole menu of things you might want to do, but then you need to figure out which ones actually fit together. Right? So, for example, in my head, say we go to a world where we push back the start of the season and now we're running roughly post-Thanksgiving to July or August, well, a mid-season tournament that currently might fall in a quieter time in the sports calendar now falls in March, which is right in the middle of March Madness. So now you're moving that to try to find the right Possibly time. a perfect accompaniment on Monday and Tuesday nights. But potentially, right? And so... so you have uh, Madness all week instead of just the weekend. And, and you know, similarly, if you go to a model where you're dividing up the season into segments or legs and you're awarding playoff spots, well, what does that mean for your play-in tournament if you have that? So you can't just pick and choose all of these things and throw them. It's, it's got to make sense. It's, it's got to have the relevance, Steve said, but, but most of all, it's got to serve the goals that we're trying to accomplish here, which is... Which is One of the points there from a mechanical aspect, from a management side, is how does that affect our draft? You know, college season ends at a certain time. When do you pick players? How do you, you lose that window of development or maybe you get them into the G League at some point? But I think those are critical areas that we've talked about. I know Ev, we've talked in the past about our model with uh, having the draft before free agency and some of the arguments on, on both sides of that. I think um, to your octopus idea. Uh, That's his idea. The, uh, Let's claim it, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, overvaluing divisions. Like for a long time, divisions were rivals, and some divisions still are. The Texas Triangle is very powerful. But like for us, you know, Minnesota, Denver, all the different teams that are there, like it's, it's lost some relevance and it's lost some value that we need to study and look at and say, how, you know, is there a place for divisions or is it just conferences or how do we look at things? I mean, going back to revenue for a second, because again, I, I love, we all love these ideas, or some of us like these ideas, uh, and we need to make them revenue neutral at the very least, and, and hopefully, I, I mean, enhance the product enough that they're, you know, the revenue positive down the road. I mean, the reason I like a tournament is it's something we can sell. I like a play-in tournament because it's something that can sell. And then that's how you can ultimately compensate for what I still believe, you know, and Evan, you and I have talked about scarcity forever. Um, by virtue of having these games that are play-ins and, 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 and tournaments, you get to reduce the number of regular season games. Um, that obviously impacts, Steve, I mean, that impacts revenue greatly. Uh, but now you have a well of extra revenue to draw from to compensate teams for whatever losses they have by only having 35 home games. I don't think we really care if it comes in the local pocket or the national pocket. I think the point is, though, you, to eliminate games for the sake of eliminating games doesn't make a lot of sense. Because, to Shane's point, if our revenue goes down, the, we, we don't have a set salary with the players. We have a scale, 50.1% of basketball-related income. We cut that down, it's going to go down. And so it's important that when we come up with ideas, they're accretive to the pot. To the pot. And so, because we're partners, we're truly 50-50 partners. So it's not we can lose and they win, or they can win and we lose. It has to grow together. And the way that matters is we can create it. We probably can sell it. Will you watch it? 
Will you consume it? Will you care about it? You know, baseball introduced the wild card, and we bought those for Turner years ago, and we got lucky. The first wild card game involved the Yankees, and it went to extra innings, and it was, you know, a success. But that was incremental spending um, at a time when cable was at 102 million homes. Now cable's going under 80 million, and there's not the word incremental spending happening on the television landscape. So the wild card in baseball is interesting. How skeptical was the network? How skeptical was ownership in baseball? I mean, was it considered, uh, this is going to be a slam dunk, or was it, we'll see? It was, we'll see. Okay. It was, we'll see. And, and again, I think the first four, which we also started on Turner and launched on True TV, not sure that's ever caught on. And you've had teams go from the first four to the Sweet 16. You've had play success, but you haven't had consumer success. In fact, most March Madness grids don't even cover you know, the, the first four, and we're into year 10 this year. What do you so, think happened? I think it was too wonky, too octopusy. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I want to take some questions. Uh, are they here? I don't see any questions, but let's, uh, let's not take any questions because there are no questions. Uh, oh, here we go. Start with Evan, and, and I'd love to hear, but I, I'd love to hear everyone's opinions. Um, do you think the Elam ending could have a place in the NBA in the future beyond the All-Star game, whether it's in-season tournament? What about, you know, I, I would say even regular season? Is this something, like, we've talked about restructuring the, 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 the season, but I'm just curious, like, how sacrosanct is 48 minutes? How sacrosanct should 48 minutes, the way we know it, be in games that are actually part of NBA's? historical archives, the games that, quote, matter. Yeah, not, nothing is sacrosanct. I mean, Adam is an incredible champion of innovation and, and trying new things. We can use the G League for that. Um, for a number of years, we talked about the possibility of, uh, of shooting one free throw worth two points in the G League because of what that would do for game length and fan engagement. We're doing that this season. Uh, for, those, for those who are fans of the G League, it's, it's really sped up that game. Um, the, the Elam ending for All-Star, there's, there's certainly no reason we couldn't expand that to other special events, right, a G League showcase, an in-season tournament, I think you wouldn't jump straight to saying, hey, we're going to do this for 1,230 regular season games, but um, everything is on the table as we look at this, and I think that's, that's the beauty of our league is we're open to all of these ideas, and you see a lot of them come to fruition in, across all of our properties. We have a regular season. We have an all-star game, a summer league. We have the W. We have the G League. It's a lot of opportunity to test out new things. Hey, Shane, how open? I always get the sense, just talking to players, Dorks like me like talking about this a lot more than those guys. I mean, is there, I mean, I, although what was great is, as Evan said, I mean, what was so amazing about the All-Star game was there was no incentive. Mm -hmm. These guys were, I mean, we talked about, these guys were actually risking injury. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing on the line other than competitive juice. Yeah. And I was, I was frankly shocked. I didn't, I, I thought it'd be interesting as a novelty standpoint. I had no impression or expectation that players would just, go all out. Yeah. And I, I'm just wondering, in a world, if we change the terms of the game itself, would, uh, would players respond positively? Would they roll their eyes? They would react as the fans would react, that we're, we're messing with a sacred cow here. But guess what? If there was no NBA, do you know where every NBA player would be after work? 
the YMCA hooping. Right. All right? So the game will always be the most important part. By whatever rule, you slice it up. All right? And so there may be consternation about changing the formula. Players will adjust because the game will always win. I agree. I think competition is valued. I think the layers of, of pressure that build up, uh, to Evan's point, is how do you build it in? Uh, change is hard. It's, char it's hard in our game, but at the same time, our audience has changed, our, our partners have changed. How do we grow our game? And I love the creativity of you're not going to succeed and you're not going to hit on everything, but what works and what doesn't work. I mean, 40-minute games has worked in Europe. You know, and they do it. They're, they're able to keep it competitive point systems. We should look at everything. By the way, would it, here's a question. Would any of these radical changes impact the way you evaluate players? Are there players that are more elamending players than they would be 48-minute players? <laughs> like, would, would a player be valued differently? It's an interesting question, but I think at the end of the day, Shane said it goes back to the game. Basketball's basketball. You could set rules and structures in place, but talent stands out. Uh, this one you are actually interesting answered. Um, how about an NBA schedule where you play two or three game series against each other team? It's on our list. Um, we, we looked at, at a model where uh, essentially moved to a baseball model of playing three game series against each team in, in particular markets. So you significantly cut down on travel. Um, you could award a, you know, a, a point for the winner of the series and track those points over the season. It, uh, just a more significant departure. I mean, Steve could speak to the challenge of selling three straight games against a lower-tier opponent. I see him shaking his head already. Steve so. is not happy. I'm just realizing <laughs> that Los Angeles is here and Atlanta's. <laughs> um, Good. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a potential option. Um, that's a big home advantage, Shane. Who will have the biggest problems with This is a good question. Owners, players, or broadcast partners... Where do we want to put arenas? Would they be part of owners or? All right. Owners, players, broadcast partners. Who are the biggest hurdles in wide scale schedule reform? Not the players. Except if the revenue, the revenue's yeah, got to be problem. Yeah, yeah. It's not, not the players. My opinion is probably the broadcasters. Um, because they follow a model that's been set in stone for decades. So it's going to take some really visionary thinkers like Jimmy Pitaro and Jeff Zucker. I'm trying to suck up to them right now in case they're in the audience. <laughs> you know, but it's going to take somebody who's willing to understand, listen to the arguments, and say, we can do better. Because the only reason to do it is to do better. We're doing great, but can we do better? What, when, you, when you were at Turner and you had the contract, like, what kept you up at night? And what were your sweeps? Feet? You don't like four-game sweeps because the playoffs, you're paying a significant amount of your premium and you're earning a significant amount of your ad revenue from the playoffs. Now, a lot of it's offset by cable fees that you get 12 months a year. But you, you want, and, and it's interesting, this year's the first year in a long time we haven't had a dynasty. Dynasties are really good for television. You know, people hate them, they love them, they watch them. And so this year, there's not a dynasty. And I think that um, dynasties have been very good for the NBA. I mean, I just want to finish with this. Okay, this is fun. 
I love these thought exercises. We all love these thought exercises. What is the process? Like, like I'm just a bill. I want to be a law, right? Like, so how does this happen? If, if in 12 years we're up here saying, wow, let's evaluate the good, bad, and ugly of the new season format of the NBA, how did it come to fruition? What has to happen for the bill to become a law? Yeah, what has to happen is we need to get alignment among those three stakeholder groups you just mentioned, right? If we can get our teams, our broadcast partners, and our players aligned on change that makes sense and grows the pie for all of them, then the answer is there's, there's no roadblock. We can get that done. Now, threading that needle and finding what that set of changes is that works for those three stakeholders and we all agree is going to grow the pie is challenging. But I think, you know, as, I, as, as I mentioned from our conversation earlier, there's, there's some easy wins in there, right? A play-in tournament is, is a pretty easy win. Um, maybe it's a little harder to get a, an in-season tournament in. Maybe it's a little harder to change the structure of the season. I mean, things have increasing level of difficulty. Um, I don't know where to put on the, this, how difficult it would be to shift the calendar around. But I think we are very, very confident that we're going to come up with a plan that, that works and that you know, sometime, it won't be 12 years from now, but I can't say exactly when it is, but sometime in the near future, we will have a proposal to bring to our, those three constituents to, to fundamentally change some aspect of the season. And in my mind, change comes with contracts expiring. We have the player's contract and the broadcast contract expiring simultaneously, 24-25 season. I give Adam great credit for having Evan in senior leadership because we have somebody who's thinking about this. This is a fun theoretical exercise, but there's actually a very senior job working on this. And I think that gets us a big part of the way there. League-wide, these conversations are being had over the last 12 to 18 months, so it's not something that's new. Our leadership is very progressive, very forward-thinking, but it's hard to get everybody on the same page, and that's what we're going through right now. Closing thoughts, Shane? Let's do it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks, everybody, for uh, hanging around for this one. Thanks. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.